coming. It's great to see you. Um, Andy's been talking, oh, just before we get to that, just to say that we like to give things away free in uh, Arena. Uh, sometimes you have to pay. And uh, on the resource table, you can pick up a commission magazine absolutely free. This has been produced by Gary Rucci, our leader of mission in the Sambas of God and his team. It's really well produced. It's a super little uh, brochure booklet magazine. And uh, it really, it's not been dated, so it's not got April or May or June on it, but it's something that can be given out that is current for this particular time. And it's really encouraging the sort of whole, the whole passion for mission. And one of Gary's favorite words is glocal. I'm not sure if it's found its way into the Oxford Dictionary yet, but it reminds us of Acts 1.8, where Jesus says, when we receive power that's come upon us, we will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Jerusalem speaking about the locality, where we live, this town. Judea speaking about the area, if you like, in the M1, if the, the arena language, the M1 corridor. Samaria, cross-culturally, whereas you heard Christian the other week, we press through to connect with people that perhaps come from a different journey to us. And of course, the ends of the earth means internationally as well. And uh, this magazine reflects all of that. There's an article in it from Christian uh, and also one or two of our other local churches as well as missional contexts from nations around the earth. So it's on the resource table. Please pick one up. I know that you'll be inspired if you read it and it'll encourage you to pray. Thank you. Now, tonight I'll, uh, I'll turn your attention to Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6. We're engaged at the moment. This is the middle message of a trilogy of of messages on fasting for change. An unusual message, perhaps, for a, a Sunday church. But um, I'll explain a little bit of why we're just rolling it out. And we trust that tonight God will speak to our hearts and minister to us as we come to the Word. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, the words of Jesus. And he says this, When you fast, do not look sober as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've already received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father, who sees what he's done in secret, will reward you. Some translations say will reward you openly. And so let me just try and give a little bit of context for this message uh, tonight. We're in a year where our theme is strengthening. We want to strengthen at so many levels. And that we realize that as we become stronger, it gives us an increasingly firm foundation to move forward into all that God is doing. And a few months ago, maybe two months ago now, Christian uh, just uh, sort of shared, I think initially with me, that he just felt that we really ought to engage with a season of an emphasis of fasting in the life of Arena Church. And we shared as, as elders, and the elders um, uh, sort of said, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great, and we, we really want to respond to it. And so we are now in the process of sharing it with the church. And to engage us in this important, powerful, spiritual principle. <clears throat> and uh, we trust that it will be a blessing to us, because... From June the 9th to the 29th, 21 days, we want Arena Church to engage in a season of fasting. Don't worry, you know, you may not be able to commit to 21 days straight through. We'll get there in a moment. But the fact of the matter is that over that season, we want at least somebody 
in Arena Church every day to be committing to the principle of fasting before the Lord as we press through, as we strengthen into all that God has got for us. So over these three Sundays, we're just going to seek to lay something into us, whether you've just become a Christian or whether you've been a believer for many years and you perhaps understand with some depth this principle, or whether it's something that's passed you by or you felt maybe sometimes to push back on it, we're just praying that it will just uh, capture our attention again. Christian started last week ministering here on Sunday night with the call to fast. And he used two illustrations from the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat and the people under threat from an alliance of enemy tribes. And one of the things they did amongst many others was to bring a fast before the Lord. And God gave them a plan as to how he was going to cause them to win the victory. And then Nehemiah, a well-known story right there in the middle of the Bible the middle of the Old Testament, where this man, though in exile, heard about the plights, the disgrace of his home city. And he was moved in his heart and thought, I've got to do something about this. The Bible says he prayed and he mourned and he wept, but he also fasted, the call to fast. Next week, I'll I'll conclude this by talking about the challenge to fast. Some of the things that are around us, friends, where the church of Jesus Christ need to rise up with a holy determination and boldness to believe that God can minister and bring change. But tonight, we're looking at the components of fasting. And uh, many of you have already got this booklet, but if you've not received the booklet, there'll be people on the door at the end. Please don't go home without this really well-produced booklet by our guys uh, in back office. And within that are some notes from Pastor Jensen Franklin, a, a wonderful a highly respected American church leader who's sought to engage his church in recent times in the strengthening of this principle. I says to Christian, how can I be that? Just let him read Jensen's notes. He says, well, bring your take on it. So what I want to do tonight, friends, is just, if you like, it's the mechanics. It's the mechanic. How does it all come together? What's the nuts and bolts of the process of engaging with fasting? If it sounds so it's mechanical, I'm also praying and have prayed that it's inspirational too. And uh, don't worry, you can still have that cake afterwards. All right, there's not a guilt trip. The 9th of June. Jesus says when you fast. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6 and 7. And Jesus' ministry was coming to the fore. The Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And uh, at that particular time, the people were oppressed by a Roman regime and they were desperate for change. And they thought it would be political change. So Jesus comes on. And there were some people that were crying out for him to turn over the tables and create political upheaval. He says, no, 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 I've not come for that reason. I've come to teach you about another kingdom. It's how to put in action the will of God on earth that it's done in heaven. And Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are really teaching us, friends, how to do that. Incredible, deeply challenging principles of how to live out the reign of Jesus in our lives. And here he's talking about praying, but when we get to verse 16, he talks about fasting. And he makes an assumption. He doesn't say if, he says when. When you fast. And then he gives us some directions as to approach it, which we'll come back to in a moment. You may say, Phil, well, it's never something I've done or I've neglected or it concerns me. Or every time 
somebody talks about this, I feel overwhelmed. I feel as though I'm not good enough. I feel as though I sort of mess up. And what I want to do over the next few minutes, friends, is to try and land it for us. Because the danger is, and we'll come to it in a moment, that we do feel condemned, that we do feel that, well, what's the point? Because I won't be able to keep it up. It may be, friends, that during this season, you only respond in what is a relatively small way. But as we bring all of that together with a spirit of agreement, something amazing can happen for the glory of God. So I want to look at four things and there'll be some sub-points that uh, have got Bible references to them. I won't have time to read the references tonight, but if, you know, if you're a note-taker, then take the notes down. Or if you may be a, a, a touch that inspired, you may want to listen to the message again. All the messages go on the podcast, and they're there available for another listen if you wish to. So firstly, the definition of fasting. The Oxford Dictionary describes it as this, to abstain from food for religious observance. Vine's Bible Dictionary says to abstain from food. Paul put on Twitter this week a really helpful definition from John Bevere, a great Bible teacher. And John Bevere says that fasting occurs when we abstain for the purposes of seeking God in a more focused manner. An excellent definition. That we, we pull back from certain things to engage in a more focused manner with the Lord. And uh, it's an act of self-control. It says that our body is our servant and not our master. It enables us more effectively, as the friend, a friend of our church, Terry Eckersley, says, it helps us to lean into God, to engage with his presence. It speaks about the spiritual and not the physical becoming the priority. This is what we're talking about when we're seeking to define fasting. And I'll come to it again a little later, but fasting primarily needs to be in conjunction with prayer. It's not about earning salvation or calling yourself, curling yourself up in a little ball and trying to be good enough, but it is serious both personally and corporately about progress and advancement in the spiritual realm. And the reason that we're talking about it on a Sunday in terms of ministry is this is a corporate call to respond together the definition of fasting and then secondly and by the way all four points won't go as quick as that one so I'm sorry but the second one is the dangers in fasting like so many precious truths in the bible people have run to imbalance now I I I don't like people defining balance as not spiritual I like balance I think the bible's beautifully balanced I think Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are balanced. I don't believe that balance, friends, pushes back on radicalism in the right sense of the word, being a radical follower, a devoted follower of Jesus. Balance very often takes us away from the good things that God teaches in the word. And you'll notice in the verses that we read at the beginning that Jesus not only talks about the principle, but he also talks about the motive. Not only what we're doing, but why we're doing it. And that's exactly what Matthew 5, 6, and 7 continually confront us with. Not just the doing, but the why that we're doing. So the dangers, let me just mention a few. Hypocrisy can be a danger. Because we read in, 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 in the, the words of Jesus, and he was clearly addressing certain people. He says, when you fast, he says, don't look sober as the 
hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces. It's called gurning. And they often um, sort of fast. But they've received their reward because they're telling everybody they've done it. And some of you will know that in ancient Greek plays, the actors that used to come on would very often come on hiding behind a mask and they were called hypocrites. That's simply what the word means. Hiding behind a mask. And if, you've had, if anybody's ever said to you, well, the problem with the church is they're all a bunch of hypocrites, join the club. If we all had a quid for every time that had been said. But we want to be a church that aren't hypocrites. We want to reverse the trends. We don't want to live behind masks. One of the words that we like, like in arena church is being authentic, being real. We're very different, but being real. And so we have to avoid hypocrisy. You remember in Luke chapter 18 and verse 12, there's a story about the person that goes to the temple and says, I'm glad I'm, glad I'm not like him. I fast. And he, he describes how many times a week he fasts. It was hypocrisy. He was pouring on a front to the show. Jesus said, I don't, I'm not hearing you, but the person that says, God, be merciful to, to me, a sinner. That was the prayer that was heard. So let's avoid hypocrisy. And then let's avoid religion. <clears throat> Second thing, when people get out of balance. Because in Matthew 9.14, there were some followers of John. And they said, hang on a minute. We're fasting more than Jesus' disciples. But the problem was, as Jesus confronted it, he said, yeah, but it's become a lifeless habit. It's become a ritual. It's become a routine. That's why, friends, we don't like being described as a religious church. Because religion so often speaking about how man can get to God. Whereas Christianity is talking about how God came to man. Religion is often talking about self-effort where we're just receiving of the grace of the Lord. Religion is often sort of saying how it, it can be beautiful. As Julie reminded us, as we worship tonight, we are beautiful in him. It's not about us getting there. It's about God coming to us. We must avoid any sense of something just becoming lifeless and routine. The third thing that we can engage in if we get out of balance is asceticism. In other words, severe, fanatical self-discipline. Often many of the Eastern religions... Embrace this, laying on beds of nails, walking through coals of fire. And often what they'll do is they'll engage in extreme fast. Again, it's a form of religiosity. that's trying to so subvert, if you like, the desires of the flesh to somehow achieve some spiritual goal. And we're not talking about that. And then what about false fasts? Acts 23, verses 12 to 21. If you think about this story, it carries some humor with it. Because the Apostle Paul had been told by the Lord that he was going to Rome. He was in Jerusalem. And there was a group of guys that got together and said, we don't like this man. He's a gospel preacher. He's an apostle. And we're going to make a pact or we're going to declare an oath that we're not going to eat until we've killed him. If you read the story, some family friends of Paul got to know about it. And he was whisked away to Caesarea Philippi. Question, what happened to these guys that made an oath saying that they'd never eat anything else until they killed him, because they never killed him. I suggest they probably back down a little bit. But friends, that's not fasting. There's nowhere in the Bible where hunger strikes are ever encouraged. Nowhere. Nowhere. And then fifthly, a wrong basis. There's a wonderful chapter in Isaiah 58 that's often read, and has been a prophetic challenge to us in Arena Church, because people were fasting, and God said this, verse 6, is not this the kind of fast I have chosen, 
to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your God. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. And the problem is, as so often happens in the Christian church, that people take sides. They go to polar opposites. So we've got the activists, the doers saying, never mind about fasting. We'll be feeding the poor. That's what the Bible says. And then other people saying, yeah, it's all right saying that, feeding the poor. But if we don't pray and fast, there's never going to be a breakthrough. It's not either or. It's both. It's both. God wants his friends to engage with him and also engage with community. And uh, we've got some progress to make in that, of course, in our context here. But we are determined increasingly to connect, to engage, to minister to the broken around us for Jesus' sake. But none at the expense of seeking after God and pressing into him. It's both. So the dangers of fasting, let's avoid any hypocrisy, religion, extremes, false fasts, or doing it on a wrong basis. Let's learn from that and follow hard after God. Thirdly, the directives of fasting. You'll see from your notes, and uh, please take time to read them, that there's a number of different fasts that are described in the Bible. And I just want to run through a few of them right now for you. And it's here where we really need to get some clarity. In Exodus 34 and 28 and Acts 9.9, it talks about a full fast. That is a complete abstinence from from food. And uh, on, on one or two occasions in the Bible, for short periods of time, there was even a withdrawal from water. We would not be ever encouraging that in Arena Church. I was saying on my occasions of being able to share ministry and training of leaders in southwest Uganda with, with Gavin, who was with us earlier in the year. These guys need some pulling back because they'll go for days with nothing. And of course, the implications of that, particularly uh, in terms of affecting the brain, are, are sort of uh, uh, quite acute. So we're not encouraging that. But a full, complete abstinence from food. And then there's a fast that's become popular in recent days. Not popular because it's easy, but because people like Jensen Franklin have sort of sowed something into the life of the church that's drawn a great response. It's what's known as the Daniel fast. And it's found in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel was a young man that was drawn to high government, serving in high government. He, He was a public official. Uh, but he didn't want to eat, if you like, the diets that the king had laid down. He says, I want to give myself to fruit and vegetables and water. And uh, his commander says, no, no, no that's not going to happen. Because if you start getting thin and withered and not looking good, then the king's not going to be happy with me. So Daniel says, this is all my paraphrase. Daniel says, well, let's give it a try. And after 10 days, uh, let's see what we look like. So Daniel gave himself to the Daniel fast. No meat, sweets, breads, just fruit and vegetables, juice. And amazingly, after 10 days, him and his friends looked better than the guys that were on the royal diets. A point was proved. And so people have 
engaged in a Daniel fast, a good way of approaching a long-term expression of fasting. Withdrawing, if you like, from some of the niceties, from the delicacies, and being a little bit more basic. And then there's protracted fasts. In Esther chapter 4 and verse 16, it says a fast of three days. In 1 Chronicles 10 and verse 12, it talks about a fast for seven days. And of course, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 20, it talks of Jesus fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And you know, you may feel a bit gung-ho about this and full of spiritual bravado and say, count me in, 21 days straight through. You've never fasted a meal before. I suggest you might just need to ease yourself in this time, okay? And then just see where it's at. But of course, people have engaged in those protracted fasts over time and have proved very beneficial to them. And then fourthly, what we call a short period fast. 2 Samuel 1 and verse 12, King Saul had died and it says the people fasted until evening. They simply missed a meal out of their regular routine. They fasted till evening. And so there's numbers of ways that we can respond to this. And all of them have validity. All of them have validity. I'll come back to it in a practical sense in a moment. But the fourth theory I want us to notice briefly tonight is, is as we've looked at definition and dangers, as we've looked at the directives of fasting, fourthly, the determines of fasting. What, what can we believe to begin to happen when we begin to reach out to God in the strengthening of this principle coupled with prayer? Well, the elders sat together and they produced a 10-point collective. I'd like, you ju- I'd like just to read the bullet points. He says, let's believe in this season for breakthrough in health and healing. Finance, ownership, small group and relational connections, favor and prosperity, lostness and prodigals returning, spiritual atmosphere continue to change in our towns, young leaders and young people to emerge and arise in their purpose and destiny, the nation and the nations, and for our fellowship of assemblies of God in these repurposing seasons. And there's a little brief under each one, helping you to pray generally into great themes. And of course, other things will come to you. If I can be very respectful, friends, don't just say, I'm just going to pray for my family. Of course you need to pray for your family. But see some bigger pictures. Let God stretch you. Let him take you into areas perhaps you've never prayed for before. And begin to see what God wants to do. So some of the reasons, the direction, the purpose, the goals, general, personal, and individual. But I want to give you very briefly, I'm just going to run through them, seven principles that run out of the Bible that are determines of fasting. Number one, for seeking guidance. Judges chapter 20, verses 26 to 28. And in that context, the children of Israel had had two defeats. So they thought that they better find out what God wanted from them and they fasted and sought the Lord that they might know a victory now guidance sometimes again has been in balance Uh, but the Bible friends wants us to know the guidance of God the psalmist says I will guide you with mine eye the Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord the Bible wants us to know that spirit led life And I like to teach on that. I understand. I've had loads of people come to me and say, I felt led, and they've not been. 
you know, and I felt led to do this, and it's obviously wrong, and they won't listen. I understand all of that, but God wants to lead us. God wants to direct us. God wants to take us through into his purposes. And I encourage you just to continue to give everything to God. As we've lifted holy hands to the Lord tonight, just to say, Lord, will you guide me? We give everything to you. And sometimes, friends, God will guide us in ways that are different to what we thought. And sometimes we might have to negotiate and navigate some disappointments because it's not quite worked out as we thought. But if we'll give it to God, somehow he'll help us through in an amazing, amazing way. Remember some years ago when our Alison, that's my youngest daughter, was training to be a primary school teacher. Really just felt it from about 14. That's what she wanted to do. She jumped through some hoops and over some hurdles. And uh, she says, I want to go to teacher training college in Lincoln. And she set her heart on it. And guess what? We trusted to the Lord and said, God, will you guide her? And she didn't get in. And we're a normal family. We're not family Walton. So there were some tears and the doors just about survived on the hinges as she went up to her bedroom. And we had the two or three hour silence while everybody sort of came to terms with it. And she went to Nottingham Trent University and did her English degree. And then at the end of three years, needed to do a PGCE, a teaching qualification. Guess where she ended up? At Lincoln. She reapplied. And she says to us afterwards, in hindsight, that great teacher, it's just worked out for the best, hasn't it? She said, if I'd have gone there first time, it wouldn't have been right. You see, and we were disappointed and we didn't understand. But if you'll just give it to the Lord, he'll guide us. He'll guide us. He'll take us through. He knows what he's doing. He's got the bigger picture in control. Give to God. And fasting helps us to know the guidance of the Lord. The second thing is repentance from sin. Jonah chapter 3 verse 5. The, the people of Nineveh, uh, in the repentance of their sin and their national, uh, their, their, their citywide turn to God, they fasted before the Lord. An amazing response to God. And I understand there's debates about nowadays whether we should be repenting for the sins of other people, etc. And I don't want to get into that now. But the reality is, friends, there's a lot of wrongdoing around, isn't there? There's a lot of things that perturb us and, and cause us to be concerned. And when we engage in seasons like this, we can bring some sense of repentance for the things we get wrong, but also for the wider situation around us. And believe that God, just as he turned Nineveh, will turn communities again. Number three, they fasted out of a concern for God's work. Christian flagged this up last week. But when Nehemiah heard about the problems and the issues back in his home city, one of the ways he responded was to fast. And the Lord caused him to lay down his wonderful job. Because right at the end of Nehemiah chapter 1, it simply says that it's a little phrase. It sits on its own. He was the king's cupbearer. It was a top job. He got a gold plate, a pension. Everything was set up for life. And God ruined it. God says, no, 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 no. You've got to go back down there and motivate these people to build this wall. And uh, he said, I will. And one of the ways that he responded to God in concern for God's work was through fasting. And then number four, being led by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 to 3. He says that in the great church of Antioch in, in Acts 13, there were prophets and teachers. In other words, there was team ministry. There was more than one gift. 
is something of what we try and portray in arena. Not, not one person's got it all. We try and draw people in. And he says, whilst they were worshipping the Lord, and we sometimes stop there, whilst they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said unto me, separate unto me Barnabas and Paul for the work that I've called them to do. We well, might say, well, big deal. Friends, this turned everything around. Because Barnabas and Paul went on their first missionary journey. Churches were planted. People were set free. Riots happened for the cause of the gospel. Amazing things took place. All because a few guys met at a ministry team meeting. They were worshipping. They were fasting. And God came in. And gave them some direction in an amazing, amazing way. Fifthly, we can fast in bringing a high humility to the Lord. Psalm 35 and verse 13. Humble yourself. The, the psalmist says, I humbled myself with fasting. Now, humility is often a misunderstood word. But we need to live in it. Because God says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble is, humility is not servility. It's not you crawling under the door tonight, under the door, not through it, to prove that you're humble. It's not duly in humility saying, you know what, I can't play a keyboard and lead worship. That's not humility, that's stupidity. Not on Julie's port, but on an house. It's not denying the gift of God in you, but it's giving that gift back to God for the service of others. That's humility. And we want a spirit of humility to pervade Arena Church. We don't want folks strutting the stuff. We want to live with a humility that is around us, recognizing that whatever God has given to us, we give it back for the blessing of other people. And when we can do that, God can give us more. And fasting brings us to a place of continually staying in a place, not of arrogance, but of humility. Six, fasting brings power over evil. Matthew 17, 17 to 21. Now I understand that in no other version than the King James Version is the phrase that I'm going to give you now. So we're not in the NIV, we're not in the NEV, we're not in the message, we're not in any of them. We're rolling the clock back. And for the next couple of minutes, we're in the King James Version. Because the disciples tried to set a guy free that was bound by an evil spirit, and they couldn't do it. And they said to Jesus, well, what's wrong with us? And he says two things. Number one, your unbelief. And two, he says, this type doesn't come out, only found in the King James Version, but you read it. This type doesn't come out without prayer and fasting. And we need to be a church, friends. I say this carefully, but deliberately. That exercises an authority over evil. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. If God be for us, who can be against us? He's called us to shine as light in the dark. Fasting is a facet of helping us press into the authority that God has given to us over darkness. And lastly, the determinant of fasting is for a move of God. Joel chapter, the, the, the prophet Joel, there in the Old Testament, another one of those books that we never read, like Haggai two weeks ago. You know, there was judgment on the people. And it talks about a plague of locusts coming to judge the people. Commentators have never been able to come to an understanding of whether it was a literal plague or it was speaking metaphorically of an army that was going to come down and invade the land. Whatever judgment was sitting over the people because of their neglect of the ways of God. 
But by the time we get to Joel 3, we're reading about visitation. That the things that the canker worm and, and, and all the worms have sought to destroy, God says, I'll restore. He talks about pouring out of his spirit. What changed? Well, it's the middle bit. Where there's a call in Joel chapter 2 for the people to stand between the porch and the altar. Or as some translations say, the people and the altar. And he talks there in Joel chapter 2 about them doing it with prayer and fasting. Friends, if we don't call upon God for the people of Mansfield to find Jesus, who's going to do it? If we don't believe for a move of God, who's going to do it? The psalmist says, will you not revive your work again, O Lord, that people may joy in you? And I know sometimes we can get pumped, but the passion of this church is that we'd see a move of God in this town and the circle around it called Ashfield, the Ducris, whatever you want to define it by, that we've never seen before. And a season of fasting and prayer simply says, God, we're serious about that. I've read a lot about revivals, and I love reading about it. Please don't read the last chapter when there's, you know, millions getting saved. Read the chapters before. Read between the lines. See the cost. Understand that I can't say to God, you know, Tuesday, God, be great if we had a revival. Thanks. Great. Sorted. It doesn't work like that. It's always about the sovereign work of God. But make no mistake. Make no mistake. Every time, without exception, and in no fear of contradiction, every time there's been a move of God in the earth over the last 2,000 years, there's always been a group of people that have called out to the Lord and believed for it and engaged with prayer and with fasting. I was watching a little bit of the funeral service of the late Steve Hill some weeks ago. Steve was a great evangelist. He died at 60. Work that out. And uh, I was listening to John Kilpatrick again, the pastor of Pensacola Church. And yeah, we all had to look on the map to find out where it was. It's on the Florida-Alabama border where they get all the typhoons blowing through off the Gulf. It's a naval base. It's a nondescript place. You wouldn't go there. But God did. Father's Day 1985. God turned up. As people lent into him. As they waited on the Lord's. Four million people visited that local church from every state in America and from many nations of the earth. People today, friends, serving the Lord all over the world out of that revival. And Kilpatrick was talking about how that they, in the season leading up to it, out of a passion for a move of God, they didn't know when that could happen, but on the Sunday nights they committed themselves to pressing into God and believing Him. And God came with a mighty expression of His purposes and his plans. I'm coming to a close. The components of fasting. The definition. An abstinence. Primarily and in its purity. From food. For the cause of being focused on the spiritual. The dangers. Let's not run to imbalance. There's no imbalance in this whatsoever. The directives. That take us in the ways of how we should Engage with it. And fourthly, the things that are determined through the principle of fasting. Let me just close with some practical points, friends, before we sing a closing song of worship to the Lord. 
Notice firstly that fasting as a bedfellow is prayer. I've already mentioned it. This is not just sort of, uh, you know, going without food for the sake of it. And during this 21-day period, I would encourage you to get your diaries out, however you access that electronically by paper, and plot a course. And the best times for you to fast are when you can most effectively pray. I've done that already. When I'm on the road, when I'm in a meeting, when, when, when can I respond to God? When have I got time back, back at Arena Ilkeston in the office? When are the times when I can particularly engage with the Lord? They're going to be my emphasis. I'm going to do it on other occasions, but they're going to be my emphasis times. And I'd encourage you to do that. I'd encourage you, friends, to find that quiet place with the Lord and see God. I'd encourage you to come to the three prayer meetings we're running during that period. On a Tuesday night in Ilkeston, on a Wednesday night in Alfreton, and on a Thursday night here to conclude in that final week in Mansfield. Running through those weeks, coming together. I was impacted at the conference this year when Andrew McCourt was speaking and was talking about a season of engagement to prayer and fasting at Holy Trinity Brompton in London. It's a great church that was the, the church that really began to uh, pour out the Alpha course. And they're planting churches all over London. But listen to this. They set a prayer house up. And if you want to pray in that prayer house, you have to go on a three-month waiting list to get in. That's a passion for God. Little wonder, friends, that God's at work. God's moving. So put it alongside when you can effectively pray. Number two. This has been a public pronouncement from Christian and from me, but it has to be privately navigated. So there'll be nobody coming up to you saying, so when are you doing it then? And how are you getting on? And so, for instance, when we've got our staff working at Ilkeston, and sometimes there's seven or eight of them there, and sometimes to keep work going, they'll eat from their desks. If somebody's doing that, you don't need somebody walking in and saying, ha! Oh! Thought we're supposed to be in a season of fasting. It's not going to happen. Because they may have done it the previous day, the day after. It may be the one day and whatever. So there's not going to be any of that. A public pronouncement, privately navigated. Remember what Jesus says, wash your face. Pour your head over with oil, including the guys. Look nice. Well, that Christian Thorpe says we've got to fast for 21 days. I'm blaming him because he's on holiday. All right. Yeah. That's what it's about. So you work it through. Number three, it's a time of intensity coupled with normality. There's a spiritual emphasis, which no good ringing up your boss at work saying, hey, boss, they have this crazy idea at Arena that we're going to have a fast for 21 days, so I'll see you on the 30th of June, all right? And you know what he'll say? And when you come in, you've got your pee whatever it is, and you're finished. 45, thank you. So there has to be an intensity in terms of oppressing him with normality. If England are doing nothing in the World Cup, it's all right, we'll talk about it, you know. I think we're going to do all right. D, it will be different things for different people. For some people during this 21 days, it will be missing just one meal. One. But you've saw, I've caught the heart of it. I'm in it. There'll be health issues that preclude people from doing it. Please, three-line whip. We don't want somebody going to Kingsmill Hospital. And they're in A&E. 
So what's up with you? So, well, I've got all these problems, but the church says I can't eat for 21 days. We are not saying that. Well, you better ring your pastor up. You know, we are not saying that. And if it means that your health will be impacted by doing this, don't do it. Got it? Got it. Number three, what about manual laborers that are burning four or 5,000 calories a day? On a, on a building site, up and down ladders. Maybe that you've got to take some intake, guys. Maybe even girls. You see plenty of them in overalls nowadays, don't you? Sort of in this day of equality. You have to work that through. It's for you to decide. And then just this week, and I'll mention no names, but some, last week at the end of Christian's message, one of the ladies in our church that's got an unsafe partner, she's a mature believer, says, well, how do I navigate this? And she says, I'm going to have to be subtle. It's a nice word, isn't it? Subtle. You imagine that you, you've got an unsafe partner and you can't always share things spiritually. You can't go on and say, whoa, the band ripped it up tonight. An incredible time of worship. So hang on, I'm watching Top Gear. I'm not interested. You know, and you have all those things. Imagine sat down on the 9th of June, plate of food at your husband's. And he said, what about you? No, that's me for 21 days now. They'll think we've gone mad. They'll be knocking the doors down and knocking us down. Got to be subtle. You ladies are good at subtle, you know. And uh, got to be subtle. So he's having a night out with his mates. Opportunity perhaps for you to fast. He's on a course for a couple of days. You know, we don't want to cause World War Three in your house. You're going to have to be subtle. <clears throat> and then I say this very carefully. Perhaps for people that have had eating disorders in the past, particularly anorexia, be careful. Be careful. And if in doubt, don't. Be careful. I'm trying to cover the basis, friends. I'm trying to make it real. Please know that eating is not sinful. You're so glad about that, aren't you? It's a blessing from the Lord. The Bible says let's not overindulge, but it's a blessing from God. During this season, we're simply seeking on occasions to choose to lay aside a natural blessing from the Lord to pursue a higher priority of pressing into all that he's got for us. Next, there's no condemnation or accusation. And finally, there's no competition. So I don't want to gaggle the folks with your diaries out saying, hey, I'm doing nine days. There's no competition. There's no competition. My danger in saying all of that is that I dilute it to an extent that people say we won't bother at all. Please don't do that. Please seek to engage with the spirit of what we're saying and God will bless us. So as I close, think about how you can respond to the components of fasting and prayer. As I've already shared, I've gone through my diary and you know, making my response to this particular challenge. All of the elders and making their own response. We've not even discussed at, at, at eldership level the individual approach to that. We've just trusted each other to respond. It's a public pronouncement. Now we're going to privately navigate it. But we're in. And we encourage you to do the same. Make sure you get a brochure because there's some wonderful practical information in there and a prayer guide that will help you. What do I pray about? Well, you've got 10 great points to pray about if you're not sure about anything else. And three, finally, there's three tables around the room as you go home tonight. And at the top, it's got count me in. You say, oh, there you go. You've been going on about us not knowing, and now you're trying to catch us out. I'm not. All this is, is 
just a signature that says, count me in. I'm going to make a response to this season in June, and we're going to believe that God's going to do an amazing thing. And when the band are finished tonight, before you go for your refreshments, and snooker and Paul and that lovely cake as we celebrate Sue's birthday, just sign the paper and say, I'm in. I'm with this, and God will be with you. Why together? Well, Matthew 18, 19 talks about the power of agreement. Where two or three have agreed in my name, it shall be done. And the word for agreement in the original language of the New Testament is symphonio, where we get our word symphony from. If you've ever been to a concert, you've got there a bit early, and the orchestra's tuning up, it's horrible. You think, I'll pay 25 quid for this. But then 7.30 comes, the conductor comes out, he taps his little uh, rostrum with the baton, goes like that, and they're ready. And a glorious unified sound comes together. Not everybody playing the same instrument, but a beautiful orchestral expression of the composer's heart and talent. Symphonia. And friends, we're doing this together because, yeah, we can do it on our own, but there's something about the power of agreement. There's something about the, for, the woodwind and, 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 and the brass and the strings and the percussion coming together. The different gifts, the different temperaments, the different talents. Some people say, bring it on. I love fasting. And other people saying, I've never done it before, but I'm going to give it a go. All coming together in the power of agreement. And friends, when that happens, as God's will is done on in heaven, so we can believe increasingly where we live. Ilkeston, Mansfield, the M1 corridor, our nation and the nations, that increasingly God's will will be done on earth as well. Thank you. Andy's just going to...